Michael Popak, Legal AF. I'm going to take a different angle about the United States Supreme Court and its decision-making and logistics about the D.C. Court of Appeals' decision to deny Donald Trump and future presidents and former presidents presidential immunity for conduct that interferes with the election, the peaceful transfer of power, and Article Two of the Constitution. There are briefs that are now flying in within hours of Chief Justice Roberts' decision, because he's the first stop on the train. He is the administrative judge, circuit judge that sits over the D.C. Court of Appeals. He just gave Jack Smith until next Tuesday at four o'clock to uh, file a paper as to whether there should be a stay or not, sort of of a leisurely pace by John Roberts. I'm not sure if that's pro-Trump pro-justice or pro-democracy, but that's the timeline. Now, we'll expect Jack Smith to file his brief much earlier than next Tuesday, but we've got a new brief already in within hours by um, 25 high-level former members of Republican administrations who served six different Republican presidents, led by J. Michael Ludig, former judge of the Fourth uh, Circuit, appellate judge, constitutional scholar, extraordinaire, and patriot. He appeared on the Midas Touch Network in an interview with me just in the last couple of days. He just filed within hours of John Roberts um, issuing his uh, direction to Jack Smith. He already filed with his gang of 25 a well-composed constitutional brief, amicus brief, arguing that there should not even be a stay. Yes, it goes to the merits of the actual appeal. I'll talk about that as well. But their argument is there's nothing to see here. The D.C. Court of Appeals can easily be affirmed its decision on the narrow grounds that it did. And the Supreme Court should dispatch the appeal, deny the stay, reject the effort for the interlocutory appeal and move on and let the D.C. Court of Appeals uh, decision be the precedent. That's their argument. But in their argument is a question that I've never seen posed yet in briefing, certainly not even in Jack Smith's indictment. And that is whether Donald Trump was willing to use the military and armed forces to stop the peaceful transfer of power in violation of federal criminal law, the 12th Amendment and the Article 2 of the Constitution. And they don't say in this brief that it is hypothetical. They say that if you grant presidential immunity to Donald Trump or others, you're inviting insurrectionist presidents to use the military against their own people. And they cite uh, comments made by Mike Flynn, comments made by Lynn Wood on behalf of Donald Trump, in which martial law was suggested, the uh, use of the Insurrection Act by Donald Trump was suggested, a presidential uh, declaration was drafted by uh, Sidney Powell, along with Mike Flynn and others, in order to seize voting machines. And all of this is at the heart of this new brief. I'm going to read to you from it. I'm going to tell you the analysis that's present there. So first we have um, how they how they um, frame the argument. And I think that's important. And I'm going to read from there and analyze from their introduction. Now, much of this was touched on by Michael Ludwig in his interview with me. In fact, when we get to the part about they're not uh, this section about there not even being four votes in the United States Supreme Court to bring this appeal up so the stay should be rejected. That is eerily similar to what uh, Judge Ludwig just told me. So this is what it says on page one of the brief. This amici or amici brief focuses on one reason why Mr. Trump has failed to make two of the mandatory showings required for a stay, meaning without the stay, 
It goes back immediately to the trial judge, Judge Chutkin, to set the case for trial in May or June. The brief continues, the judgment below to deny immunity is so clearly correct as applied to the harrowing allegations in the indictment that there is neither a fair prospect that a majority of the court will vote to reverse the judgment below, nor a reasonable probability that four justices will consider the issue sufficiently meritorious to grant certiorari. Presidential immunity should never be so broad, the brief continues, as to embolden an outgoing president's violation of criminal or federal criminal statutes as part of efforts to prevent what Article 2 of the Constitution mandates, the vesting of the authority and functions of the presidency in the next lawfully elected president. Let me go right now to a clip just from a couple of days ago of my interview, hard-hitting, far-ranging, unplugged... <laughs> Um, Judge Michael Ludig, obviously knowing that he had this brief in his back pocket. And here is a clip from that particular interview on this particular point. Now, you you ask, where does the immunity case go from now? Well, by Monday, we'll know. Because uh, technical jargon, uh, the the, uh, D.C. Circuit state is mandate only until... um, uh, Monday, and 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 only until or unless the Supreme Court itself issued a uh, uh, its own state, uh, which means we'll know Monday or, or or Tuesday at the latest whether the what the Supreme Court's going to do or or, or might do. Uh, I, I don't, have, of course, have any more insight than anyone else does, but um, but I believe that that the court might well de- decline review of, of, of that uh, immunity case because the Supreme Court knows that it's, it, it would never in a million years reverse that, that decision. I don't believe that there is a single justice on the Supreme Court that disagrees with the DC Circuit immunity decision. At the same time, the DC Circuit understood, as does the Supreme Court of the United States, that if the Supreme Court takes the immunity case, it increases exponentially the likelihood that the former president will will not be tried before the 2024 presidential election. Now, courts are appropriately to be unconcerned with that kind of political uh, consideration, but not in this one instance of all where a president of the United States for the first time in American history is to go on trial for uh, crimes against the United States of America. In that one instance, the Supreme Court has a a responsibility to the nation not to unnecessarily delay that trial until after the election. Ever try to break a bad habit and felt like you're climbing Mount Everest in flip-flops? Yeah, we've been there too. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your bad habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning, flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. 
Instead of electronics, fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing and anxiety while breaking your habit. The first time I tried fume, it was way more flavorful than I thought, and it feels very fresh. The look and feel of a fume is very sleek. It's well-weighted, perfectly balanced, and extremely fun to fidget with. Plus, fumes just released a magnetic stand for your fume, so there's no more losing it around the house. And it's built with fidgeting in mind. You can spin your fume around on it. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash legalaf and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use my code legalaf to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash legalaf to save 10% off the journey pack today. All right, let me go back to what the fundamental argument here for the for the uh, people that are filing the amicus brief, which include, by way of full disclosure and pride, one of my law partners, Nick Rostow, who formerly, who, who in the past served two Republican administrations as a counselor and as a national security advisor, general counsel. Um, here, their argument is twofold. One, on the Article 2 issue, which is Donald Trump's argument of immunity completely undermines and turns on its head the entire... Article two structure for our executive officer in the form of the president, and that can't be allowed. But but more chilling, I found on page 13 in a way, as I said, Jack Smith's indictment never really did itself, is under the under what could happen, the real world implications of granting immunity to somebody like Donald Trump or Trump in the future. Uh, listen to these chilling words. This is on page 13, 14, and 15 of, of the brief under the heading, under Mr. Trump's view of absolute immunity, a future president could disregard federal criminal prohibitions against using the military and arm federal agents to alter election results. Here's the argument. Mr. Trump argues that he should not be denied federal criminal immunity based on a lurid hypothetical about a president's use of the military to commit crimes to keep that president in power. But that kind of hypothetical follows both from what uh, former President Trump allegedly did and repeatedly considered in pursuit of subverting the 2020 election results. Think of this August body panel of people all Republicans, all conservatives, mostly Federalists, and what they're saying about Donald Trump's actions. To start, the brief continues, the indictment alleges that former President Trump attempted to use the Justice Department to make knowingly false claims of election fraud to officials in the targeted states through a formal letter under the acting attorney general's signature. Um, the, the targeted states uh, urging them to replace legitimate Biden electors with the defendants, citing to the indictment. Under Mr. Trump's vast rationale for federal criminal immunity, a future president would be emboldened to direct the secretaries of defense and homeland security, as well as the attorney general, to deploy the military and armed federal agents to support efforts to overturn the president's election re-election loss. It goes on after citing to uh, various criminal codes, criminal sections and crimes that have been created by Congress criminalizing anyone who tries to undermine the peaceful transfer of power or tries to use any element of the armed forces 
um, as a posse comitatus or otherwise to execute the laws. They go on to say on page 15, absolute immunity from criminal prosecution would undo the protections provided by these federal criminal statutes, the checks and balance of Congress in this case. A future president could disregard these criminal statutes and deploy the military and armed federal agents to prevent the counting of votes in an unfavorable county or of a certain type, such as mail-in ballots, by seizing ballots and voting machines. Such absolute immunity also would encourage the president to use the military and armed federal agents to bar physically his or her opponent's electors from casting their electoral votes on the day and place required by the Constitution and other provisions. These terrifying possibilities, the brief continues, are real, not remote. Indeed, after this court refused to overturn the 2020 election results in Texas versus Pennsylvania, there was a drumbeat of calls from allies of President Trump for him to deploy the military. The brief continues. The next day, on December 12, 2020, Lynn Wood, a lawyer for Donald Trump at the time, appeared on Newsmax and stated that if the Supreme Court does not act, I think the president should declare some extent of martial law and he should hold off and stay the Electoral College. The Electoral College does not need to meet and vote until we have resolved these fraud and illegality issues. The brief continues on page 17. On December 16, 2020, former General and National Security Advisor Michael Flynn reviewed the draft order that was prepared by um, uh, uh, Sidney Powell, an executive order that was drafted for the Secretary of Defense to seize voting machines and including the use of federalized National Guard units. According to Politico, the draft order was created by a lawyer assisting Rudy Giuliani in efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Then you have um, allegations that uh, Mr. Flynn called for Mr. Uh, President Trump to seize voting machines and deploy military capabilities to return an election in each of these swing states. In response, um, General Milley, the arm, the Army Chief of Staff and Secretary, issued a public statement that there is no role for the U.S. military in determining the outcome of an American election. And the brief continues. Look, at the end of the day, we're going to have a um, result here that I think is going to go as follows. Jack Smith is going to file before next Tuesday to speed this up. If we know Jack Smith at all, he's moving with great velocity to bring this to a head. Then John Roberts is going to have a decision to make. For right now, there's an automatic stay in place because the Supreme Court um, has taken up the D.C. Court of Appeals decision. The D.C. Court of Appeals said that it would stay its decision until the Supreme Court makes a ruling. The Supreme Court has not made the ruling as to whether it's going to continue the stay, not the appeal yet, the continuation of the stay, until they hear from Jack Smith. Then John Roberts will then, I am sure, refer it over to the full group. And the question that's been posed here by the new uh, amicus brief filed by Judge Ludig and others is, is there four votes? Because that's what it's required to take this up on appeal. Yes, it's a right wing majority court and there's six on the right wing. But does John Roberts, maybe taking um, Kavanaugh with him, does he deny uh, and one other, you know, because we, we got to peel off three votes here. Does Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett and Roberts sort of stand for the proposition that this does not have to be brought up to the United States Supreme Court with all the delays that are incumbent upon it. Because as you heard Judge Justice uh, Judge Ludig 
tell me in the prior uh, clip, he's afraid that if this doesn't get resolved by the Supreme Court and they decide to take it up, the chances of having the D.C. election case happen before November 5th, the, the chances are very remote. And that's what we worry about here. Um, the reason that these Republicans, like Judge Ludig, step forward is not because they're in love with Donald Trump or they're in love with you know, the federal the federalism. It's because they're in love with the presidency as an institution and the Constitution as a, as a concept. And they don't want anybody to F with it, my words. And that's why they, as patriots and constitutional scholars, have stepped forward with all of their heft and all of their might to provide support for Jack Smith and the arguments that being raised there. Then the ball is going to be back with the filing of the amicus briefs by, I'm sure, historians. And, and now we've got this powerful one um, to encouraging, encouraging and providing proper support as the Supreme Court completely ignore and don't take the stay. And they even cite in the brief recent precedent. I'm talking about 20, uh, 2022 precedent that was just set by the United States Supreme Court in a decision um, involving Benny Thompson and a lawsuit there. I mean, it's a 2022 decision by the United States Supreme Court, which ruled eight to one. You know who the one was, Clarence Thomas, not to uh, take up the appeal and not to stay the results related to whether um, a certain lawsuit needed to move forward or not against Donald Trump. So there's recent precedent in the last year and a half that they cite to. We'll watch what happens. Here's the timeline. Jack Smith will file before next Tuesday, I'm sure. Amicus briefs like this will be reviewed by the court. John Roberts will send it over to the full United States Supreme Court to decide. Then there's a hunt for four votes. If there's not four votes, that D.C. Court of Appeals decision will remain intact. And this case will get, re you know, there'll be a hearing now before the trial judge Chutkin to set the D.C. election interference case uh, sometime in late spring, early summer, which will be concluded before November 5th. If they decide that there are four people at the Supreme Court level to take the appeal. They'll set a briefing schedule. It may not be as fast as we want. And depending upon the briefing schedule, this will either kill the case before the November election or allow it to happen. We're going to find out what kind of court the John Roberts court is. What does the Roberts court stand for? Does it stand for justice? Does it stand for um, proper adjudication on the merits, or does it stand for politics and ultimately election interference? It's the exact opposite of what Donald Trump argues. The case is not election interference. His crimes have to be pursued. The question is, is the Supreme Court going to conduct their own election interference by not allowing the trial judge to do her job, the jury to do their job, and decide thumbs up or thumbs down whether the voters on November 5th are voting for a convicted criminal or not? The public, Chief Justice Roberts, has a right to know under the we, the people that this entire constitutional republic is based upon. We'll continue to follow all of this right here on the Midas Touch Network and on uh, Legal AF on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. And I invite you to join us. Until my next hot take, until my next Legal AF, this is Michael Popak reporting. Love this video? Make sure you stay up to date on the latest breaking news and all things Midas by signing up to the Midas Touch newsletter at MidasTouch.com newsletter.